The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor for Provoke Media, and I will be your host for today's episode. So on today's show, we have Lisa Rosenberg, who is Partner and President of Consumer Brands at Allison & Partners, which was one of our agencies of the decade. Um, and Lisa, another accolade, um, Lisa was also on our Innovator 25 this year um, for 2020. And we, she was on the list because um, she's just a powerhouse when it comes to creativity and storytelling and I can go on and on about some of the campaigns she's worked on, but amongst them, some amazing work with Gillette, um, Purple M&Ms, um, Driscoll's Rosé Berries, to name a few, Lisa. Um, so, so welcome to the show. Thanks, Arthi. Delighted to be here. Yeah, Talk and so- My favorite topic. Yes, creative, and, 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 we are, and we are, we're covering both coasts. I think, Lisa, you're in New York and I'm, and I'm here in the Bay Area. Yep, cold and rainy here in New York today. And we are 65 and sunny. So, um, so let's let's first. I mean, we're we're in December now. It's 2020, and my gosh, what a year it's been. So, I would love to get your take, maybe some reflection on this past year. You know, between COVID, between you know Black Lives Matter here in the U.S. You know, a, a, a really um, huge presidential election. All of these factors. Um, how did that impact creativity this year and innovation? And, and I would love to get your take on, is there any work that you did that you're really proud of um, amidst all of this, or even work that's you know, not from Allison and Partners that you want to point to that really stood out to you in this year? No, absolutely. I think um, you, know, you sort of hit it on the, the nail on the head when, when you think of the confluence of events that have happened in 2020, and the impact um, each of those have had on um, creativity and brand programming um, and what brands set out to do. And you know, I know it's um, a bit of an overused word, um, but, but pivot is actually, um, I think, the, the word of the day when it comes to how brands had to behave in order to be authentic and connect with consumers and, um, and strike the right tone. Um, and you sort of see it over and over. I know I did with, with clients we were working with where you had a great idea and you thought you were executing something and then something happened and you might have been set to go out the very next day and you either had to put it on pause um, to launch later or you needed to put it on pause and figure out a new way in. So I think um, there was a lot of, um, a lot of, of, lot of, uh, of need for creative pivots and being able to, to think quickly um, while keeping a pulse on what was going on within the country. Um, so I think you saw a number of brands do things where an idea might have come to fruition really quickly. Um, and whereas something, you know, in prior years might have, um, you know, been six months in the planning stage and had a whole series of, of um, activations tied to it, that really wasn't how brands operated this year. Um, it, this is not a, 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, can I, I was going to stop you there because I wanted to touch on that for a moment. So, I mean, that's interesting. So it's like, you know, this is the year that it's almost like planning died because the <laughs> world changed so quickly. So, I mean, do you, do you feel like this is a permanent shift that like planning far out, like planning campaigns weeks or even months in advance is, will, will never be looked at the same because the world just changed so quickly now? Um, yes and no. I do think, you know, brands inherently like to plan. And while, you know, no one is planning out their entire year or their five-year plan um, the way they might have done 10 or 15 years ago, I still think, um, you know, brands are looking to, okay, these are either my key selling seasons or this is, um, uh, you know, a time of year or an event or a moment where I want my brand to play. And so, I do think, you know, planning is happening, um, but I think what you are always sort of being prepared with or need to be right now, at least, is, well, what's plan B? Or how does this work in, you know, a COVID world or in a world where we can't bring people together in real life? Um, so I don't think planning will completely go away. I think, um, I think planning timeframes will be condensed. Um, and I know that I'm seeing this with uh, some of the brands that I work with, where we're planning against a number of different moments in time, but we're sort of looking quarter by quarter. Mm -hmm. So I don't think many people are planning now for, you know, a year from now, or right. even really six months from now. I think, um, you know, because we've had some really good news um, in the last few weeks about a potential vaccine, you are starting to hear some conversations of, oh, well, when we're out of you know, stay at home or um, needing to um, socially distance, what could this look like? Because I think there's built up desire and anticipation to bring back some things that happen in real life. So I think you're starting to see glimmers of discussion there. But I think when you reflect back on 2020, it was moving in real time. It was, um, you know, changing direction on a dime, not getting your heart set on an idea. Like you might have loved a campaign you came up with, but you also were going to need to be able to walk away from it if it was going to come across as tone deaf or if it was inappropriate based on what was going on in our world. So I think um, some of those learnings and flexibilities, I think, will inherently change the way all of us marketers work because, um, you know, it's been nine months of, of figuring out how to flex. And I think we're all building up our skills in that area and, and also, um, you know, getting a little bit better about, you know, not feeling so attached to an idea that we can't just let it go. Um, I think that you raise an interesting point there around this flexibility that, you know, we, we had to have in 2020 um, and not getting, you know, not getting too attached to any particular idea. And I feel like, so is that, how much is that driving your conversations into 2021? And it sounds like pretty heavily because to your point about these glimmers of hope, it, it seems like right now, and in, even in the conversations we're having internally and that, you know, I, I've had with other folks in the industry, no one really knows at what like at what point is talking about an in-person live experiential event what point is it sort of a, a pie in the sky fantasy and at what point is it like no this is something that's really rooted in in reality and could happen in june like so how do you how do you balance that you know planning so that you're staying you're keeping abreast with what you know some of these problems you know these milestones that are happening around vaccines but also not jumping too far ahead 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I, I would advise my clients to err on the side of caution. You're seeing some of the projections or, um, you know, predictions by the government and by health experts could be June, but you know, it could be September. And you're probably looking like next fall before we really start to resemble any kind of normalcy. I think I saw something yesterday that talked about like in-person sporting events probably won't be back to normal um, till the, you know, the end of 2021. Um, and so while we're gonna see things start to turn and while there is good news it just takes time and um you know some of the projections talk about the need for like 75 to 80 percent of the population to actually be vaccinated in order to return the economy to normal um, and that's a big number and that doesn't happen overnight so i, I think um i think we're still probably in um a virtual environment or a digital environment for a good chunk of time longer. Um, I think you'll really start to feel the country, I'm hoping early spring, sort of come back. Um, I think, um, you know, obviously we've heard all the news as of late and the numbers are increasing and unfortunately, you know, it's resulting in increased hospitalization and, and, and deaths that hopefully we will turn the corner and a, and a tide as people start to get vaccinated and, and hopefully as this surge subsides. And I think once it does, I think you're going to start to see um, a careful and cautious rebound um, by marketers and what they choose to do. Um, I think you may see, and this, this is sort of interesting, I hadn't really thought about this before this conversation, you may see the pent-up desire on the part of the consumer actually eclipse the pace of what marketers are comfortable doing, hmm. which is really interesting. Yep. Um, you know, travel is a really interesting category, and, and people haven't really been able to to go places and to vacation um, in the way that travel was such a critical component of our lives. Um, and it may be that you know the pent-up demand on the part of consumers. Um, is going to exceed how quickly brands start marketing because I think brands want to be careful with their tone and what's appropriate. And while there will be a portion of society that is either unfortunately still ill or recovering, you, you will have a huge chunk that as soon as it's safe, they're ready. That's and so right. I think that'll be an interesting challenge. Like how do we balance that? Right. Um, and at, at what point is it, is it appropriate to start to shift your messaging or your activations um, as long as it's safe to do so? Yeah, no, I think that's super interesting. And, you know, one, I wonder how much we're dealing with that right now as we're dealing, you know, as we're in the holiday season, right, which is traditionally, you know, marketing overdrive. And, um, and, and so, you know, that's on one hand, you know, there's a consumer expectation for kind of being bombarded with marketing at this time of year. But on the flip side of it, there's also, as you and I talked about before we started this podcast, I mean, you're being, if you open up the news or the headlines, it's all about death and illness and ICU capacities. Um, I mean, are you having to, you know, be, being in the consumer space, how are you walking that tightrope between being sensitive to the bigger news environment of death and illness, 
while also, you know, catering to this need that consumers probably have around the holiday season? You know, I, th I think um, that's a really great question. And it's actually something that I've been looking at in terms of what brands have been doing um, for the holidays. And I think, um, you know, because family get-togethers and travel is, is um, you know, we're being asked as a country not to travel, not to get together, and the holidays are going to look different, and Thanksgiving did look different for many, many people. Um, you, are, you are seeing brands, I think, you know, play with a sense of fun, a sense of whimsy, um, mixed up with a, a, a good dose of heartfelt connection, um, which, which can play on some of what we're feeling as a result of the pandemic. Um, but I've seen a number of brands, you know, not go, we're not in the doom and gloom. And it's not necessarily a reaction to the vaccine news or, or change in a, in, a, in a president or anything like that. It's, it's just that consumers need something to feel good about. And if you can, um, if you can tie your messaging um, to what's relevant, you know, all the better. Um, you know, great example. Um, we actually saw a number of brands lean into Thanksgiving this year. And a lot of times holiday is all about, um, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, um, that time of year. But we saw some brands really start their holiday um, activities in earnest with Thanksgiving. You saw Whole Foods and Progressive do a really innovative program for their Thanksgiving turkey protection plan. Um, which was really commenting on the fact that you had a lot of first-time cooks who were going to try to to conquer the turkey, um, which is not something everyone always um, knows how to make. But because you were going to have smaller gatherings and more people were actually going to be cooking Thanksgiving dinner, um, the idea was if you had a turkey fail, you could be rewarded with gift cards redeemable at Whole Foods if you had the Thanksgiving turkey protection plan. Um, so, you know, a really fun pivot um, with, a, with a nod to what's going on um, in our country now. Um, so I think... Um, you know, brands are looking for ways to to um, to create some sense of, of of fun this holiday season. I think you're seeing also a tremendous amount of um, branded merchandise um, as part of the holiday season. Um, you know, whether it's uh, um, you know Pizza Hut teamed up with Gravity Blanket to do that original pan weighted blanket that look, I don't know if you've seen it, it looks like that giant like cheese or pepperoni pizza. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so it's really cool. And they, they launched it in response to this being a heavy year. And the blanket is like 72 inches round. It weighs 15 pounds, sold out in less than a day. So you now have a, gra a you know, gravity blanket that looks like a giant pizza that you're oh. snuggled up underneath. Um, and then you saw, um, you know, like Frito-Lay, um, and, and they've had branded merchandise in the past, but they introduced holiday bundles and did their first ever like holiday shop on their website on snacks.com. So you could get like an ugly Doritos branded Christmas sweater and an adult size like Cheetos onesie. And they each came like with their corresponding, you know, like a bag of the corresponding snack. So you saw like bundles and then um, other brands like Duncan, um, who've traditionally done a lot of merch, they, they dropped their line as if they were supreme. Like, so, um, you know, it was the full line, dropped at once, 
most mm -hmm. of it sold out super quick. So you're, you're, you're seeing brands um, who, who don't live in the world of fashion um, actually, you know, sort of take cues from how those collections generate so much buzz um, and demand amongst consumers. So, so let, going in a, in a, you know, we're talking about kind of the levity around the holidays and kind of giving people that, that much needed outlet. Um, let's look at a, another piece, and that's the um, purpose and empathy. I mean, obviously, purpose is not new. <laughs> We've been, you know, that's yeah. been kind of the headline for the industry for many years now. But I mean, this year, it, it took on extra significance because people were looking to brands, um, not only, you know, in terms of where their purchasing decision was, were made, but also how they were treating their employees. Um, in the middle of this crisis, and you know, uh, this was this was the year that you couldn't just talk the talk; you actually had to show some action. So I'm curious how, what kind of conversations you had around purpose, and what do you think will be the lasting change um, from from this year? Sure, I think um, you know, purpose isn't new when it comes to um, how brands think about their marketing mix, but I do think what's changed is. Um, the desire the and the authentic desire by brands to actually um, weave purpose into their marketing efforts in a way that is really going to have a measurable impact. Um, and whether it's tied to CSR or their sustainable goals, um, they are looking to do things that are actually going to have an impact, um, you know, on the communities and the people with which, you know, they serve. Um, and then, you know, you have brands who are inherently purpose-driven, you know, brands like a Ben & Jerry or a Patagonia, um, you know, and Impossible Foods. And then you have other brands um, that, are, that are truly, you know, they're, they're brands where purpose may not be their main driver, but they stepped up in a big way. Um, and, you know, this year was a year where brands absolutely could. Um, I think one of, one of the things, and, and I, I took this as, a, as a, a great program, and this was before I started working with Budweiser. Um, so this is not a campaign that I worked on, but one that I, I really thought demonstrated how um, a brand could pivot in a significant way. And they introduced, um, Budweiser introduced a one team, um, which was a partnership between Anheuser-Busch and the American Red Cross. Um, and it was at the beginning of COVID, and basically what the brand did was redirect $5 million of its sports and entertainment marketing spend to the Red Cross to support the fight against the pandemic. And they worked with their stadium partners to actually open them up for blood drives for the Red Cross in order to have an impact. And I thought that was a really, um, you know, impactful way to make a difference. And you saw lots of brands do things that they were capable of doing. And when there was, um, you know, a need for more PPE or hand sanitizer, lots of different brands um, stepped in and, and pivoted their production lines to, to make product. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting way um, to sort of repurpose um, something that was planned and pivot in a big way. And I know, um, you know, that the, that actual spot that they put together, they did it in a week, um, which is pretty impressive and, and not the way most brands, you know, put out a typical commercial or, or a piece of film. Um, and then you have, you know, brands like, um, um, I would say, you know, Ben and Jerry's, 
um, who's, who've long been um, supporters of equality and justice and taking a stand on issues. So they're, they're a true purpose-driven brand. Um, and you know, following um, the unfortunate um, killing of George Floyd this past year and the protests, they, they really put out a call to dismantle white supremacy, both on social and on their website. Um, and I thought the podcast series that they did um, really um, put a stake in the ground for, for what they stand for and looking to address the you know, historical aspects of, um, of racism in America. Um, so the, the who we, it was called who we are, mm -hmm. um, you know, that is, you know, more than just, you know, putting a spotlight on a progressive cause. I think they were really, um, you know, moving along the spectrum of saying we are a social justice company. We are a social justice brand. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up, you know, the Black, Black Lives Matter, because that was another obviously huge part of 2020. Um, and, you know, I, I, the fact that you said white supremacy on this podcast, right, I feel like that's a lasting change of what happened this summer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I spoke to the, the, the CCO at um, ACLU, and she and I had this conversation, and she said it was really the summer was the first time that even she was saying the words white supremacy at work. And the fact that that language is, is not jarring anymore to talk about in a, in a professional context, I think is, is, is testament to kind of the, the lasting impact of some of these move, movements from the summer and how brands are embracing things, um, like challenging white supremacy, um, acknowledging white privilege in a way that, that they hadn't done before this year. I mean, like we said, I mean, the Black Lives Movement is not new. It's been around since I think it was 2014. Um, but this is the year that the brand stepped up and decided they were going to have a voice in that, in that conversation. You know, I, I wanted to also get a sense for, um, you know, in, in this really cha challenging moment, you know, you, uh, how did you foster creativity amongst your team? What were some of the ways that you were able to do that? And, and what do you think you'll carry with you um, into 2021 as, you know, our world continues to change as vaccines, you know, roll out and maybe we might be seeing each other more. Um, obviously the office is not going to go away, but it may look very different in the future. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, what you did in 2020 to foster creativity amongst your team and what you want to carry with you into the new year? Well, that's a great question. So I think I probably did a couple of things and a couple of things to foster creativity amongst my team, but also to allow myself, um, you know, to, to take a step back and, and think creatively. And, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, creativity is, is a result of like necessarily the environment you're in or where you are. It's about freeing your mind and giving yourself a chance to think um, and giving yourself and your teams a chance to think about what's happening in the world around you and like looking at what's going on. Because um, I think you can draw inspiration from a lot of different places. So I think one of the things um, that I, you know, encourage my team to do is to, to look for ways in which they can draw inspiration. And, and I think, you know, everybody is um, unique in where they, um, you know, get their best ideas or where they draw inspiration from. Um, I know um, 
I used to always joke that I got my best ideas, like when I was drawing my hair in the morning, because it was just, I, w I couldn't talk to anyone else. Um, I couldn't be on a phone call because the hairdryer was loud, so I could just be in my own head. Um, so I think, you know, encouraging people to, to take time to noodle with ideas um, and to also take time to look at what else is out there and draw inspiration from, you know, the, the, the work that you see. Early on in the pandemic, I actually spent a lot of time looking at um, campaigns that were being done from around the world to encourage um, social distancing and hand washing and all sort of the early messaging we heard at the start of the pandemic. And there was a great um, website and the name of it escapes me at the moment, but I saw, you know, sort of brilliant work from around the world and how we were all trying to communicate the same message. So it wasn't like, um, you know, I'm selling a shoe here or I'm selling ice cream. Everyone was selling like the safety message and the how to protect yourselves and what we needed to do. And so seeing um, the variety of ways in um, on that, I actually found particularly inspirational. Um, and so one of the things that we've been doing is, you know, when you think about a challenge we're facing for a client or what is the, what is the, um, you know, the problem that we're trying to solve, if you can identify that problem and then figure out different ways that you could solve that problem, it's a way to push the innovation and the creativity. Um, so I, I just, I just thought that was, um, you know, just a really interesting um, way to look at, you know, probably a hundred different creatives take on the same problem. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And I love your, your example about just, you know, I think we were all in this really breathless state, right, in the beginning of, of the pandemic and the importance of just stopping and being able to reflect. Um, I think it's important for, you know, leadership to do that and also to enable um, their teams to do that as well. So, you know, I, I know we have to, we have to wrap up soon, but Lisa, I would love, you know, one of the, we can end on this, on this futuristic note. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in our Innovator 25 Q&A with you, which, which I'll link to in the show notes for those of you that want to have a look at it, um, that really, that stood out to me was um, thinking about what the industry will look like in the future and where is an urgent need for innovation. And I'll, I'll read your, your response because I, I really liked it. Um, we need to continue to innovate through technology so that tasks can be automated and streamlined to free up human capital to think big and create. And this sort of dovetails nicely with what the answer you just gave. And, and I would just love to kind of think, you know, beyond 2021, let's just look at this next decade of, of communications. And what would you like to see automated or streamlined? And where would you like to see, um, you know, kind of human capital be concentrated? Oh, what a great question. I mean, I think we're starting to see um, the use of AI and machine learning as ways to, um, you know, track conversation and track trends that then impact creativity. Um, so I think when, when you're able to automate certain tasks and take it out of, um, you know, uh, what used to be very manual and, and labor intensive, you free people up to do the work that I believe clients are hiring us for. And yes, they're hiring us to take some of the stuff that they don't have time to deal with off their plate. But if we can automate like some of those task-oriented things or things that we need to make us smarter, so whether it's research or learning or listening um, and listening across the social space and, and, and then free ourselves up 
to spend more time thinking about the solutions um, to problems that either have been identified or people don't even realize that they have. Like, what are the tensions in this world that we need to solve? Um, I think, you know, that's sort of the win for our industry. Um, there have been times in my career, and I've been doing this, you know, a long time, where all of a sudden you find yourself spending a good portion of your day um, doing things that, oh, I could be doing this if I sold carpet. I could be doing, you know, I could be doing this if I, you know, worked in any other industry. But I got into this industry because I wanted to be looking for creative ways, um, you know, for brands or companies um, to, to be able to have an impact and make a difference in people's lives. So in order to do that, you need the time to think. Um, and that's probably, um, for me, like one of the biggest, you know, sort of, question marks of this past nine month period is, is how at a time where you cut out travel and you are home, um, theoretically you would think you have a lot more time and yet everyone I talk to feels busier than ever and more stressed and pressed for time. Um, and so how do you, you know, I'm still trying to grapple with that bit of it, but I, but I do believe that it is sort of the freeing of the brain. And so if you can take certain tasks that just take up time that could be solved through technology, does that free you up for more brilliant creative innovation? And I think that's an excellent point. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that um, translates to um, attrition in our industry, right? I mean, sometimes, if to your point, I mean, if you start as, as at a junior level and most of what you're doing is some of these tasks or database management or, you know, right. media monitoring and that kind of thing. And, and you think, gosh, like this isn't what I, this isn't what I thought this industry would be like. And then you end up, you know, losing talent. Whereas they, if they can, you know, if people can start and have a little bit more of that bigger creative thinking as part of their jobs, um, you know, that might attract, help attract and retain talent. You make such a great point, Arthi, because junior people tend to get relegated to a lot of those entry level task oriented things that we wind up doing. And great ideas can come from anyone and anywhere. And I think, um, you know, I'm just as we're talking about this, I'm like, yes, if we could automate some of the things that, that generally gets pushed down to, you know, folks joining our industry right out of college or in their first couple of years and make sure that they're having the time to contribute their creative thinking um, and that, um, you know, their brilliance, you know, isn't wasted on what could be perceived as sort of busy work or the mundane. Right. So I think right. that's a really great point. Yeah, no, I think that's, and you know, and I think that's what's something really exciting for the industry to be, you know, to, to really work towards. Um, I, I think it could change, you know, the way, the way that we structure work um, at, at agencies and yeah, I and mean, what, what those first few years look like. Because um, I know, I mean, I, I've talked to people who I think are really smart and brilliant, and they're now in tangential fields, but they're no longer in the PR industry. And part of the reason that they left was they wanted to be doing what they thought was, you know, what they thought they would be, they would be doing at a PR agency. Um, so, so yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, um, I think, so there's, there's much to look forward to. We, we, we had a tough start to this decade, but, um, you know, as we've talked about earlier, there are, there, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like 2021 will be quite different than 2020. And, um, and, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of technology advances that I think we can look forward to over the next decade as well. Um, well, Lisa, this was a great conversation. I love when you and I sit down and chat. So um, I'm glad that we recorded it this time for, for, for an audience to hear. Well, thank you. I think this was, it's always great to chat with you. And, and hopefully next time it'll be in person. Um, ideally back in San Francisco, I can come visit you again and not via Zoom. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Really do, um, appreciate the opportunity um, and, yeah. and the conversation. And, and I agree with you. Rocky start, but um, I think as I said, um, when you asked in the innovator profile, you know, predictions for 2021, and I do believe it will be better than 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all sort of banking on that. Um, well, that, and that wraps up another episode of the Provoke Media Podcast. Thank you again, Lisa. And thank you to our production team at Marketeers. And we will be back soon with another episode. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.